everyone out there in the galaxy, welcome to another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the people, places, things, concepts, TV shows, made-for-TV movies, all of those things and more from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Ross, and today I am your only post, because Mac is under the weather, and of course, you know us, we cannot miss a week of content so, well, Mac is out uh, getting one step closer to being safe from the uh, pandemic that's ravaging the world. We were here today talking about what's really important, the vintage content recently released on Disney+. Plus. Yes, that's right. Today, we're going to talk briefly about the two Ewoks movies, the Ewoks animated TV show, briefly about the faithful Wookiee short from the Star Wars Holiday Special, and finally, the Clone Wars micro-series. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about each of these in some depth, but I'm going to try and avoid spoilers. What this is going to be is more a little bit of short information about each project and kind of some reasons why they are worth your time to check out and watch, especially if you've never seen them before, because a lot of this content is now available digitally for the first time ever and has not been printed uh, to be able to be bought in any way for years and years and years. The last time the Ewoks movies were printed was on a double feature DVD disc that was sold at Walmart for $5, and now you'd have a tough time finding one for under $50. So this is not content that is uh, easily accessible unless you're out uh, searching the bowels of the internet. So now that it is easily available on Disney+, Plus, it is a good time to talk about why you might want to watch it. So we're going to dive into those couple of shows and movies right after this. We are the E, 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 Okay, welcome back, everyone. We are going to start by talking about Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, the first made-for-TV Star Wars film that debuted in 1984. So just one year after Return of the Jedi was released in theaters, you could enjoy the uh, continuing adventures of the Ewoks, or technically the prequel adventures of the Ewoks, since this takes place while the Empire is still in control of the galaxy. Now, before we get started here, let's just uh, talk about the obvious uh, elephant in the room here. These movies don't necessarily hold up to modern Star Wars in the same way that uh, you might expect if you've never seen them before. You know, the original trilogy Star Wars films have gotten 
so many re-releases, so many different special editions that really make them sort of keep up with the times and make them um, feel a little bit more modern than they actually are. You know, if you've watched a despecialized edition lately, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you watch the original cut of A New Hope, it looks like a movie made in the 70s. Uh, and of course, there is still a charm to that, but you know, without the special editions, they probably wouldn't be what they are today. And the Ewok films suffer from this a little bit by essentially being the same versions that were originally seen on TV in 1984 and 85. But we should point out that at their time, these were still visually impressive films. You know, Caravan of Courage won an Emmy for visual effects. Uh, so it's not that these were necessarily lesser in the eyes of fans, especially young fans at the time. You know, they were, the story was created by Lucas for these, even though it wasn't fully written by him. He did have a part in the story beats and the creation. And the movies were worked on by Joe Johnson, who uh, was integral to the design of the original trilogy. So you have a lot of elements here going into these films that do make them interesting pieces of Star Wars history, regardless of how you feel about the content. Another thing that's really great about these films uh, is they use fantastic sound effects that make you feel like you're in a Star Wars universe, you know, even though you're not seeing Jedi with lightsabers or, you know, space battles, you still feel like you're in Star Wars because of the sounds that are coming out of your TV. And so that makes... I think some of the biggest difference when it comes to Star Wars versus non-Star Wars, the sound effects, the sound design, and all of that is present here in Caravan of Courage. So that alone, I think, is the first reason why it's worth watching, seeing the creature design, the costumes, hearing the sound effects, I think does make it um, worth your time. But let me tell you a little bit more, and maybe you'll agree. So, this movie opens up, uh, the story begins long ago, deep in a forest on the enchanted moon of Endor, and we see these two, uh, you know, we'll come to find out, parents are searching through the misty woods looking for their children, they can't find them, and they have, well, flashlights, you know, flashlights, not the most high-tech thing, but hey, it's okay, it's made for TV, they've got just plain old flashlights, and they're walking through this misty forest, screaming, where have they gone, where have they gone, they make it back to their star cruiser, which we see has crashed on the planet, and they said, oh, we told the kids to stay with the ship, why aren't they here, something must have happened to them, and then all of a sudden, they're attacked by a giant beast, comes out of the, you know, the forest, this giant tall beast, uh, screaming, uh, and, uh, cut, you know, we don't we don't know what happened to them right away. So it cuts to Deej and Ewok, and he's missing his sons in the woods. So he prepares his <clears throat> skin glider to search for them. Wicket wants to go, but is told he must stay behind. Now, as Deej loads into the glider, a uh, goat, yep, uh, just a, a goat, eats the rope, securing it, and is launched above... What are clearly the Northern California Hills. Uh, this film was uh, made completely in California, shot in Northern California. And if you've ever been to Northern California, it's got a very distinct look to it. And you can tell kind of the rolling hills um, 
Well, it's definitely obvious that it's in the human world, but it's still a lot of fun to see what is essentially a different part of Endor, a place on Endor that is not just completely dense forest. And there is also some really good matte painting stuff here that happens in the first couple of minutes that gives you those Endor vibes right away. But you get some great shots of the California woods wilderness here uh, as Deej is soaring over the area in his <clears throat> skin glider. Now, he finds his sons, Weedle and Witchy, stuck on the side of a cliff. So, after tossing them a rope, they head off to inspect a mysterious object that Deej saw while gliding overhead. So, they find the Tawani Cruiser, which is the family who crash-landed on their planet. And Deej opened the hatch, and he hears movements behind him. There's a crazed look in the eyes as he pulls off a panel in the ship to reveal a tiny human girl. Now remember, this is before Ewoks blinked. So Ewoks in the original Return of the Jedi didn't blink. They didn't have eyelids. And then later those eyelids were added uh, with special effects to make them a little bit more, um, well, realistic. And in the Ewok movie, the Ewoks still didn't blink. So <laughs> when this Ewok is ripping the panel off of a ship and reveals a small, you know, maybe three, four, five-year-old human girl who looks terrified, uh, the Ewok also looks straight up scary as heck. So if I was Sindel, who we'll come to learn is the little girl, uh, I would be kind of terrified too. But fun fact eyelids were added for the Ewoks movies eventually, but just to the sleeping Ewoks, not for uh, all of the Ewoks in the production. So just a few of the suits. Now, we also have to point out here that simply, okay, so the parents come back to the ship, they're looking for their children, and they get taken away by the monster before they realize Sindel is hiding in the ship. So either one of two things happens here. Either Sindel is not hiding in the ship when they get taken by the monster and comes back later, or they just did an awful, awful job of looking in the ship when they were searching for her. So we don't really know which it is. We're going to have to go ahead and assume that maybe she came back to the ship later, but for now, we're just going to leave that as a mystery. Now, Mace, her brother, comes barging in with a blaster, and the Ewoks are able to disarm him and take them prisoner. They take him back to their camp where Sindel passes out because she isn't feeling well. She's got kind of this light cough that she's been working into her acting, her performance over the last couple of minutes. And the Ewoks are kind enough to give her medicine, uh, showing Mason and Sindel that they are in fact friendly characters. So that's about the first 15 minutes of the movie. Now, yeah, it might sound a little silly. Um, you know, it might sound a little interesting hearing names like Mace. You know, you might be familiar with that one. Uh, and, you know, these characters that are kind of brand new to us, for the most part, you know, Wicked is our one character here that we're sort of meant to be familiar with. Uh, because we just got done seeing him a year and a, a year ago in the theater. But these Ewok characters really, the first couple of minutes here, are just spent setting up what the planet is like, what the environment is like, the fact that the Ewoks are our friends, they're not the enemies, and that there is 
more that happens on this planet than just little furry teddy bears and uh, the Emperor coming to, well, you know, take over a, a solar system. Now, we want to try and avoid spoilers for the rest of the film, but the Ewoks and the humans, Mace and Sindel, go on a fun little adventure together to try and save their parents from the evil, uh, we'll call it magic, that lurks on the forest mood of Endor. So, one thing that is also really fun about this film is just that you get to see more of Endor. You get to see more about what goes on there and what other species live on the planet, what they're searching for, what they do, things like that. And so to have a film that essentially expands the larger Star Wars universe, the things we've already seen on screen, is a really interesting and, uh, frankly, I think, creative idea that doesn't really get enough credit for its time. You know, it wasn't really until 91 with the start of the Thrawn trilogy that the expanded universe kind of really took hold in the mainstream. But this was a great attempt to kind of keep Star Wars alive, even though it was out of the theater and sort of out of the main public eye. This was a good effort to sort of give especially younger fans uh, something to grasp onto. And something to help, well, expand the larger universe. So for those reasons alone, you know, this thing is only about 90 minutes. So it's well worth your time, I think, to check out. I highly recommend it. Okay, so now that we've spent some time talking about Caravan of Courage, let's hop on over to the sequel and talk about Battle for Endor. Now, this came out just one year later, also straight to TV. And very much a direct sequel in a lot of ways to Caravan of Courage. Now, Battle for Endor also won an Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects. And I would say that this one actually looks better. You've got more characters in costumes. You've got more masks, more creature effects, stuff like that. So if aliens and creatures are your thing, this one I think does have some genuinely good Star Wars to check out in it. Now, it was also nominated for two other Emmys, Outstanding Children's Program and Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Miniseries or Special. So these were well-received uh, in at least some ways during their time, even though now people look back on them uh, a little less fondly. So let me give you the basic opening synopsis for Battle of Endor. Now, I just want to say here, spoilers for Caravan of Courage, because at the end, you know, it kind of leads directly into this one. And also spoilers for some of our characters here, because this movie really starts out with a bang. You're going to have to see it for yourself uh, to believe me. But this one is a little wacky right at the beginning. So I just want to state one more time here. We've got some spoilers coming up, so just be mindful. All right, Battle of Endor opens up on Sindel and Wicket playing in the woods. Now, Sindel's dad, who has changed actors here, is close to repairing their ship. He's trying to get them off the planet. Mace and Mom are off doing some stuff. Sindel and Wicket are off doing some stuff. And Dad's stuck back behind repairing the ship. Now, I also want to point out that Wicket speaks basic now. He's having not full conversations, but clearly is understanding Sindel, clearly is speaking in response to her. So hearing an Ewok speak in basic is probably the weirdest thing that will happen in this movie, uh, but is worth pointing out because it is a bit, well, different than what we're used to. Now, 
Wicket smells danger up ahead, and you could interpret that as he can just tell there's danger, or maybe he smells the smoke from far away, but he knows there is danger. Sindel and Wicket rush back, and they find their camp is being attacked by marauders. So the Ewok village is under attack. And we also get a really, really cool scene here of some Blurgs, which, if you're not familiar, are the lizards that uh, Din Djarin and Quill ride in The Mandalorian Season 1. So we get some early Blurgs here, some really, really fun special effects for their time. So absolutely pretty cool, worth checking out. Uh, these movies are also full of horses and goats and regular animals, which I just find pretty funny. So it's fun to kind of watch the movie and try and spot them. I'm sure if these movies had been better received, they would have official uh, space names by now, you know, uh, an Andorian tip goat or something. Who knows? But, you know, they get to be their own little... Uh, they're own little in-universe creatures, but they're very clearly just goats and horses and stuff. And it's kind of fun just to see them run through a scene or, like we said in the last one, a goat just causing chaos for the Ewoks. It's kind of funny. Now, she finds Mace, Sindel, her, you know, the sister from the first one, finds Mace, who is fighting with his blaster against these marauders. And next to him, his mother is just dead, just lying on the ground, just straight up dead so all that adventure we went through to try and save mom and dad in the last one it was successful but now she's dead so you know that's kind of disappointing uh Sindel and mace don't seem to be taking it too hard as she just kind of see her body limply laying on the ground there um i don't know if it was just you know they couldn't get the actress back and they didn't want to recast both or whatever it was but uh yeah mom doesn't make it and then Mace drags the mom into one of the Ewoks' huts, and the hut gets blown up, also killing Mace. So our main character from the last film is dead in the first five minutes here, and also with his mother, dead. Lots of Ewoks, dead. Uh, the goat, probably dead. So, you know, not starting off like a typical children's program, kind of violent. Um, now... Sindel makes it back to her ship. She sees, you know, from, you know, she's kind of back hidden in the woods. She sees her dad and her dad tries to take down the marauders, causes a distraction, allows Sindel to get away, but is eventually shot in the back. Now, him and Sindel, they make their way off. And by the way, this is where we get our first introduction to our villains here uh, at the ship. They are after the power core that it has. They believe that this ship is key to power. And essentially that if they take control of the power, they can take control of the planet, possibly getting off of it. So, you know, that is kind of the motivation here is the dad is close to repairing the ship Everybody on Endor knows about the ship and are trying to take it from him, which is why he is shot in the back here as he's running away. Now, uh, Dad and Sindel have a nice moment underneath a, underneath a tree where he basically says, Hey, you know, you need to go on without me. You need to stay safe. I can't go with you. And, you know, neither of them seem too sad. He does throw out a line of, you know, this is no time to be sad. We just need to survive right now. And Sindel, you know, for being, what, a four or five-year-old, I mean, I guess she's been through a lot, but, you know, she takes off with only a short look back, uh, and then it's only a moment later that her dad meets the same fate as Mace and Mom. So, 
you know, five, ten minutes into this movie, little Sindel, little tiny, cute little girl Sindel, who, you know, we just spent a whole movie getting her family back, is now an orphan on Endor. It's pretty brutal. I mean, really, it is not what you expect here, and it does give this movie a bit of a surprise factor as it opens up. So, just for that alone, this is another interesting piece of Star Wars that... You know, a lot of people, it just kind of has flown under their radar for one reason or another over the years. And if you are a uh, avid Star Wars fan, I mean, I imagine you are if you're listening to this, I would give it a shot. You know, they're not the best movies in the world, but they're worth a watch and it's worth completing that little bit of uh, Star Wars knowledge, you know, that you don't have already. So I highly recommend checking both of these movies out. Uh, definitely do it in release order. And let us know what you think. Star Wars All In on Twitter. If you uh, watch these, if you give them a try, whether you love them or hate them, let us know your thoughts. Uh, I'd love to know your opinion on the goat that uh, eats the rope of the glider in the first one. So please let us know. And next up, we are going to discuss the Ewoks animated show, right? Right into the Ewoks animated show. So, the Ewoks TV series, which ran for two seasons between 1985 and 1986, is technically a prequel to the Ewok movies. So, the Ewok movies, which take place before Return of the Jedi, this is a story that takes place before the story that takes place before Return of the Jedi. So, a prequel to the prequel. That's what we're watching here with the Ewoks cartoon. Now, these episodes were about, you know, 30 minutes. TV show episodes, so like 22, 23 minutes. Um, there are two seasons. However, only the first season is available on Disney+. Plus, So it is a little bit confusing. Uh, if you go to watch, there is only half of it available. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Disney did announce they're going to be releasing the other Star Wars 80s cartoon droids eventually on Disney+. Plus. So maybe we'll see season two of Ewoks as well. But for now, let's talk about what is here. So, a couple of the most interesting parts of this. First off, the Ewoks theme song is just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Do yourself a favor and watch at least one episode just to hear the theme song. Uh, there's a part where it just goes, e e e e e Ewoks. It, it's just absolutely ridiculous, and I love it. Uh, it is great. It should be our new Star Wars All-In theme uh, highly, highly recommend going to check it out. Now, another thing worth pointing out is some of these Ewoks have absolutely just wild color schemes. Bozzy, one of the uh, older uh, female Ewoks, is purple and brown, like a like a like a just a, a moderate, like almost lavender, like lilac, no more like lilac, purple color, um, like a creamy soft purple. It's very kind of wild just to see these Ewoks that aren't brown or gray. I mean, that's what pretty much every other Ewok we've seen up to this point is. So in the animation, there's just tons of great color. And I'm sure it's just to help make it pop and make it a little bit more interesting for children. Who knows why that decision was made, but it is really, really a ton of fun. Now, this show has... Um, a bit of a Smurfs vibe, you know, you've got the Ewoks, the locals, the villagers, and then you've got Morag, kind of the evil, 
and we'll say sorcerer, you know, uh, basically magic user, who knows, maybe a force user, you know, they don't really ever go into it, but this evil person who also lives on the forest moon of Endor and hates those cursed, cursed Ewoks. Just, they're always getting in the way. We absolutely hate them. Now, in the first episode here, which we're just going to talk about a little bit, just to give you an idea of what you're in for, uh, there are these Firefly-type creatures, and Morag captures them to try and enchant one, basically put a curse or a spell on one, to cause it to um, you know, hurt the Ewoks, to catch the forest on fire. There's been a drought, Endor is very dry, just a small flame could cause the whole thing to go up in blaze. So, as the Ewoks are playing a fun game, even though it is not really approved of by the Elders, a fun game of... drop the sack yeah drop the sack as the Ewoks are playing drop the sack and this game by the way is a couple of Ewoks sit up in a tree with bags full of mud or maybe poop I I hope it's mud they don't really clarify but it it could be either Uh, while one Ewok runs around below them on the forest floor with a target on its back hoping that he does not get hit by the sacks of mud or poop, whatever they may be. So we have this game where the Ewoks are running around, dropping these these bags, these sacks, and one of them unfortunately hits Bozzy, the purple Ewok we mentioned earlier, covering her in the mud-ish mixture. Um, you know, classic, <laughs> classic kids cartoon, always getting into trouble. And at this moment, there's also the, fi- the uh, cursed firefly-like creature, starts to catch the forest on fire and the fire starts spreading it is uh on the sort of ground around them i guess would be the way to explain it and one of the ewoks starts hitting the fire spreading around on the ground with a uh with a rake with with a rake what there's there's just some moments like that that make this show um how should I put it? Classic <laughs> might be the nicest way to describe it. You know, it's just silliness for its own sake. What this show brings to the table is one, uh, a really bright, colorful landscape, spending more time, you know, on the larger world as a whole, just like I said, the two other Ewok movies did. This movie very much, or I should, sorry, this show very much expands the universe and just shows you more about what goes on on the forest moon of Endor what other kind of creatures live there and inhabit the planet. And it just really makes the world that much bigger and that much more interesting. So for that reason alone, plus the theme song, I do think it's worth giving a couple episodes of Ewoks a try. Honestly, I'd probably rather watch a season of Ewoks than the Endor, you know, Caravan of Courage Battle for Endor movies. Um, But I think they're interesting because they both show a piece of the larger world of this planet. And it is kind of interesting to have both in live action and animation these sort of lost, forgotten, made-for-TV type of things that show off just this one specific environment, this one specific planet that only played one part in one Star Wars film. But it's interesting to just give creators a chance to expand on it. And for those reasons alone, I do think the Ewoks TV show is absolutely worth checking out. There is also a beautiful line of action figures that was made for the show. They're 
quite expensive now over the last couple of years. They well, 10 years or so. They've really gone up in value compared to what they were. Uh, but the the card backs for them are gorgeous. The figures themselves are really, really cool. And some of them don't look like traditional Star Wars characters, so that's kind of fun as well. Um, if you haven't seen those, you know, do some internet searching and check them out because they're pretty darn neat. All right, so now before we jump to the Clone Wars micro series, let's talk briefly about the Faithful Wookiee. Now, the Faithful Wookiee is part of the Star Wars Holiday Special, and it is notable for, besides that reason, being the first appearance of Boba Fett. Now, because this is only about 10 minutes long, I'm not going to do a full, you know, point-by-point -point breakdown of the Faithful Wookiee, because I think it's worth going to watch on your own, but I'll just give you the general idea. So everyone, including Luke, Leia, the droids, are waiting for Han and Chewie to get back from a mission where they were trying to find a mysterious talisman that can make you invisible. We see Chewie piloting the Falcon back to the Rebels' hidden base, but he can't communicate with them. There's no communication. He comes on the screen briefly, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't explain what's going on. We see Han tied up and hanging upside down in the bathroom. Chewie almost crashes, but avoids at the last second, goes past the Rebels' hidden base, and lands on a sort of mysterious water planet, kind of uh, right almost off behind them. Luke follows along with R2 and 3PO because, well, he needs R2 to, you know, help navigate, and he needs 3PO to help translate Chewbacca when he finds him. And... One little thing to point out here, too, is kind of cool. Luke takes a Y-Wing off on this adventure. Um, and so it's just fun to see Luke in his, uh, you know, different outfits, uh, well, piloting a Y-Wing. Not something you get to see very often. Now, as they land on the planet, we kind of learn that it's sort of like Dagobah, you know, a, a watery world. It doesn't look like Dagobah, but, you know, creatures in the water, um, not safe, that type of thing. And this is where we get our first appearance of Boba Fett. Now, Boba Fett's a very different character here at the time, but Boba Fett is basically able to convince Luke that he is not a friend of the Empire. He is not here to help them out in any way, and he will help Luke find his missing ship and his missing friends. So that is sort of the little adventure that starts off this animated section from the holiday special. Very interesting to make this available on its own without the rest of the holiday special. However, it definitely works on its own. It's definitely its own interesting little thing. And of course, like we said, it's the first appearance of Boba Fett. So that is the reason why people want to see this so much and they want to see those origins and you know his different costume variants and weapon variants that he has here um so it is a very interesting little piece of historic star wars now like i said at only 10 minutes this is an easy just you know a couple minutes before bed throw this on and uh check it out you know the kids might like it as well so if you've got any little ones running around it's bright and colorful and, you know, might hold their attention even if Star Wars isn't something that hooks them. So, The Faithful Wookiee. Um, another unique thing in Star Wars. We've never had another piece of Star Wars where we have an animated show inside of a live-action show. And so, for that alone, another very interesting and unique piece of Star Wars history, I think, well worth watching. 
Okay, and without further ado, it is time for the main event, or at least what I'm considering the main event. It is time for Clone Wars. Now, not the Clone Wars, the 2008 animated series that everyone knows and at this point I think pretty much loves. We're talking about Clone Wars that ran from 2003 to 2005, the 2D micro-series created and directed by Gendy Tartakovsky. Now, this is another unique bit of Star Wars because this was created at a time when, um, you know, the Clone Wars was kind of on people's minds. Attack of the Clones came out in 02, and then Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005, and this show aired right in between them, right in the period when we would be seeing Clone Wars action happening because if, you know, somehow you're not familiar... Attack of the Clones ends, and it's the beginning of the Clone Wars. Revenge of the Sith starts, and it's the end of the Clone Wars. So we miss all of the junk in the middle, and that's what this Clone Wars series was trying to bring us. Now, this Clone Wars series ended up really becoming more of a proof of concept for the larger series that would come later. But at its time, this series was incredibly well-received, both by critics and fans. It won three Emmys. Uh, It was voiced by an incredible cast, including people like James Arnold Taylor playing Obi-Wan, who would come back to play Obi-Wan in the George Lucas Dave Filoni series a couple years later. So this is a series that really establishes a lot for Star Wars, even though it is technically no longer canon. There's a lot in here that carries over to the 2008 series. There's a lot in here that has now been brought back into Star Wars since it you know, originally aired. So this is a series that out of everything that's available, I think you could make the argument, you know, has a more permanent home in a lot of fans' minds than some of this other content does. So let's talk about why that might be and why this content is kind of interesting. So on Disney Plus, and if you own this on DVD, this is broken up into basically two one-hour chunks. When the series originally ran, it ran in 20 parts, sort of 20 micro-events, and they were essentially just snippets of Clone Wars battles. A lot of them had very minimal dialogue and sometimes no dialogue at all. They were just snippets of battles from throughout the Clone Wars. And of course you saw characters you know, like Obi-Wan and Anakin uh, and Mace Windu, but you also got to see more characters who aren't as prominent, like Saucy Tin and, um, well, you know, We'll talk about it here in a little bit, but characters like Dooku and Ventress get uh, some of their coolest character moments here, I think, in this series, even though obviously we'll get to see a lot more of them later in the 2008 show. If you were a fan of the action of Star Wars, this show is great for you. It doesn't have a lot of time spent on plot or dialogue because... That's the movies. This is just the war. This is the characters fighting the war. And so you're seeing lots of space battles. You're seeing lots of lightsabers. You're seeing lots of fighting. And so if that sounds like something you're into, this could be for you. There are tons of explosions. I can't stress enough how much everything in this show explodes. You know, if you hit it with a lightsaber, it explodes. If you stick it with a laser pike, it explodes. If you uh, shoot a ship, it just completely explodes. You know, things like a clone trooper's rifle is strong enough to shoot through, um, 
you know, a, a trade federation warship, stuff like that. So there's just tons and tons of explosions here, tons of battle, tons of blaster sounds, tons of droid sounds, tons of lightsabers. So if that is the part of Star Wars that interests you, this is absolutely worth checking out. Now, the second half of Clone Wars, this Clone Wars series, you know, if you're especially if you're watching this on Disney Plus, makes it easy. Instead of being 20 parts split up over an hour, it's only five parts split up over an hour. So with the second half, they decided to go a little bit more um, into the storytelling realm. And so it's a little bit more complete. You see things like the uh, kidnapping of Palpatine off of Coruscant that leads right into episode three. So there's some really, really great stuff in both you know, what we'll call seasons or parts, whatever you want to call it. So it's all worth watching. I recommend just starting at the beginning, but there is one great thing I want to call out here in the Clone Wars micro series, and that is Ventress's intro. So this is a character. This is the first time we're ever seeing or meeting this character. Obviously she will go on to be a more prominent character, but this is the first time we ever see her. And the story goes, Dooku shows up to try and find a new apprentice. He uh, he basically is at this this sort of out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere planet, this sort of asteroid, and he's escorted into a viewing booth. We're out in front of him. All of these different warriors of different species and types are fighting each other, and they're all trying to prove that they could be his, you know, his his assassin, his his apprentice, his hire. However you want to put it, they're auditioning for him. And as he's sitting there watching, watching the contestants, all of a sudden, the person who was sitting next to him is gone and has been replaced by a hooded, cloaked figure, who in a moment will be revealed to be Asajj Ventress. Dooku basically says, very well done, your stealth is impeccable, but I am not in need of a spy, I'm in need of a warrior. And when he says that, Ventress jumps out through the window, losing her cloak, and drawing her two lightsabers, except here she has a green and a blue lightsaber, and she declares herself a Sith, and Dooku, of course, laughs at that, even though she's able to very easily, using the Force and her lightsabers, take down all of the other opponents, Dooku laughs at the fact that she thinks herself a Sith, and as she goes to attack him to prove him wrong, he electrocutes her with Force lightning, knocking her unconscious brings her back to what I can only assume is Sereno. They don't actually say or identify a lot of planets here, but brings her back to Sereno, where her and Dooku have another fight. And after Dooku beats her, he gives her, he introduces her to Sidious, the true ruler of the Sith, as he puts it. So, you know, to let her know, hey, here's why we knew you weren't a Sith. Um, but it's this really cool moment where you see uh, Sidious come down, and he introduces Dooku as uh, Lord Tyrannus, which is not a name we get to hear often, so that's pretty cool. And basically, Palpatine allows Dooku to take Ventress on as a pupil, as an assassin, as whatever you want to call it. So this is something that is drastically different from the Clone Wars version, you know, the, the, the Clone Wars version, the 2008 show. But it's something that gets its roots, its origins here in Tartakovsky's show. And so... A lot of Star Wars can be influenced just by the smallest thing. Uh, you know, you may not have thought about it in 2003, 2004, that this would come back and this character would be a huge piece of Star Wars later on. 
but that's where we are. And that's what makes this old Star Wars vintage content so interesting is there are all these little nuggets, things like the Blurgs and the Ewoks movies or, um, you know, seeing more of the planet Endor, you know, we'll see Kif Burr later in the sequel trilogy, you know, another moon in the Endor system. So just getting to explore planets in this kind of in-depth way that a TV show allows, especially a TV show or made for TV movies that don't leave that single planet. You know, obviously now we have the Mandalorian and Rebels and Clone Wars, but those hop all over the place. So it's nice just to spend time in one environment and get to really um, understand it and appreciate it in great ways. And that's what I think makes all this Star Wars content so cool. Now, the last thing I want to take a minute and talk about is just really simple, and that's the name, vintage content. You know, each of these uh, little play bars is given its own kind of vintage, uh, you know, if you're not familiar, old Star Wars figures, uh, Kenner figures had this thing called this race tracking around the sides, the silver lines that kind of led up to the Star Wars title. And that same silver lining racetracking can be found around this vintage collection stuff. And that's kind of what gives it the name vintage collection, the style of it. The fact that it is, well, you know, old Star Wars stuff is another reason they're calling it vintage. But it is kind of interesting that they chose not to call it Legends when we already had that name available, a name that makes perfect sense for Star Wars content that we don't really consider canon anymore, that is part of the old EU, not the new expanding universe that's, you know, growing by the day here. So to take the time to put this stuff out on Disney Plus and to call it vintage and give it, you know, this vintage look and feel is interesting. Uh, Disney has not really quite stated if vintage is canon or is not canon. I mean, I think it's safe to assume for now that it is not, which makes it all the more interesting of why not just then put it under the non-canon title that we already have, Legends. Uh, you know, Legends, when it first was announced, while it did focus on publishing, in the press release, they talked all about how, uh, you know, the old expanded universe, which included movies, books, TV shows, games, was all going away. So if all of those things went away, yes, we've only really printed books since then. So the only, the only thing that has the official Legends banner. But all of this content, in my mind, based on not only what Disney has said in their own press release, but just when you think about it in any sort of logical way... This should all fall under the Legends banner. So the fact that they've chosen to classify it as vintage also strikes me as very interesting. Will we see more vintage content? We already know we're getting droids, but will we see the full holiday special? Will we see, um, you know, maybe despecialized versions of the original trilogy or maybe the original version of the pod race scene? You know, if we're going to have this vintage banner that isn't Legends and isn't canon, it's kind of something else entirely then I really, really hope that it gets expanded upon and we get all of this vintage Star Wars content available. Because at this point, you know, holding some back but not others, there's no real logical reason for it other than things like, I don't know, maybe licensing or stuff like that. But, you know, all of this stuff was created by Lucasfilm, so it's hard to imagine that it's you know, a music issue or anything like that either. So who knows? Maybe we'll get more answers from Disney in the future on where this all fits into the grand scheme of Star Wars. Uh, but for now, it's great that we just have the content available again and is available for us all to consume uh, with just a few clicks of a button and a moderate speed internet connection. So if you haven't yet, 
do yourself the favor. Check out some of this vintage Star Wars content on Disney+. Plus. I highly recommend the Clone Wars micro-series. And like I said, I think all of the Ewok stuff is worth checking out if you've never seen it before. Hey, we're only about a month away from May 4th, so maybe you have just uh, figured out what you can do on May 4th now. Uh, change it up a little bit. Watch something a little different. Uh, it was actually just a few years ago Mac and I sat down and watched both of the Ewok movies, and we also watched uh, some of the droids cartoon together for May 4th. So it's definitely a little bit of a change of pace for your day. Uh, you know, maybe watch those and then go into Return of the Jedi, but just something different to try. And if you haven't checked it out, there is also something floating around the internet called the Revenge of the Sith Mandalore cut. And a lot of that is uh, footage from not only the 2008 Clone Wars show, but footage from the Tartakovsky Clone Wars micro-series is cut into the film itself. So you get to see more of this awesome action and more of this great storytelling as part of the overall Revenge of the Sith story. So if you haven't heard about that, I recommend checking it out, doing an internet search, the Revenge of the Sith Mandalore cut. I know we've talked about it before, but it's quite an interesting piece of Star Wars, and it has a lot of this Clone Wars micro-series blended into it, so well worth checking out. All right, everyone. Well, I appreciate you letting me talk about the new Star Wars vintage collection. Stick around for a little bit more right after this. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thank you, thank you for taking the time to listen to my solo episode today. I had a ton of fun uh, re-watching all of this content and getting a chance to talk about it here with you today. And I hope uh, at least a couple of you go out and watch some of it yourself, because it is very, very exciting, I can say at least on my end, that we're getting this content on Disney+. Plus. I know a lot of us have been asking for it since Disney Plus launched a couple of years ago. And so it's just great to have it. Um, let's see. Since it's just me, it's a little weird here as this, you know, another week of Star Wars All In comes to an end. Anything interesting happened this last week? Let's see. Uh, well, first off, just want to say thank you if you listened last week to our second annual Too Big for One show uh, titled Two TWO Big for One Show. Our follow-up April Fool's Day episode, you know, last year, if you were with us, we did a really fun April Fool's Day where we, uh, you know, jumped around to some other alternate timelines and checked out what it might be like if Mac and I had started different types of podcasts instead of a Star Wars one. And we did the same thing again this year. So if you missed last week's episode, Too Big for One Show, highly recommend going and looking at it. Uh, we talk about 
the MCU. We talk about Harry Potter. So it's a, and we talk about Jurassic Park. So it's a little bit of a different show from what we typically do, um, but highly, highly rec- worth checking out. That's episode 85. And I believe episode 34 was Too Big for One Show, part one. So highly recommend if you haven't listened to either of those, go and check them out. They're lots of fun. And we really, really enjoy producing them for you. Uh, they're some of the most fun we have all year. So. Absolutely recommend those. Let's see, Star Wars. Um, got my a couple, my Jawa and my Obi-Wan, my 50th anniversary uh, Black Series figures have finally come in. Lucasfilm Black Series 50th anniversary figures. Uh, have not gotten the Greedo yet, but I do have him on order. Uh, I also got my uh, Ray Darkseid Vision Black Series figure. Still don't have a crate Luke, but I'm not salty about it. Uh, got that in the mail, so that was fun. Um, today is shaping up to be a big mail day. Not here yet, but my copy of the Dr. Afra, um, you know, teleplay or radio play is uh, coming. You know, the, the script version of that. Uh, can't wait. And my copy of... Skywalker A Family at War is coming today, which I am extremely excited about. From the time this book was announced, um, all the early reviews that have come out of it, I cannot wait to read this one. It is going to be, I think, fantastic. And also, the uh, second trade paperback for the new run of Star Wars comics also is out uh, and arriving, I believe, today. So really, really great mail day for me for Star Wars Publishing. Hopefully a few of you out there as well. Uh, In just a few weeks, we're getting the second Thrawn Ascendancy book, Great or Good. And just a few days ago, we had the third book announced coming out at the end of this year called Lesser Evil. So completing the Thrawn uh, Ascendancy trilogy. So something a little different uh, coming out at the end of this year. We get to end our year with a Thrawn book, so that's tons of fun as well. Uh, Let's see. Anything else new in the world of Star Wars? Anything else we're missing? You know, with The Bad Batch is coming out on May 4th, premiering with a 70-minute special episode, and then every Friday after that, so that's great. That means during the first week we get two episodes plus, well, one episode plus a long special, so it's really like we're getting three or four episodes. Can't wait for that. Uh, Mac and I will be doing a definitely a watch of the bad batch we're also going to be doing a mandalorian season two rewatch that day with our friend cody who has not yet seen the mandalorian season two so we've got a busy may 4th planned uh probably making a few things out of the galaxy's edge cookbook as well so shaping up to be a good day uh let's see i think that might be it i don't think anything else has happened in the world of star wars this week um there are some videos floating around out there. Oh, we got the Obi-Wan casting. That's what we got. We got uh, the full cast list for the Obi-Wan show. I don't think we got a chance to talk about that last week. So if you haven't seen that, that's floating around. Uh, some of the biggest news is that Owen and Baru uh, you know, are being reprised from their characters from Episode 2, uh, which is great. Um... There are some videos floating around out there of the set of the Obi-Wan show, so if you want to have absolutely no spoilers, you know, stay wary of that, um, since it'll probably still be a while before we get the show itself. Let's see. I think that's it, guys. Uh, Let's see. How do I do an outro without Mac here? Well, I'm Ross, and I'm Ross, and until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you.
This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.